You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. PackersTalk.com. You're listening to No Huddle Radio on the Packers Talk Radio Network. Your home for in-depth and thoughtful Packers analysis. I'm joined by my good friend Gil Martin. He's a writer for the SportsDaily.com and Cheesehead TV. And I'm your host, JJ Leahy. We're here to talk Packers because you're all here for one thing, and that's a love for Green Bay football. We have breaking news here. The Panthers released Josh Love. Oh, so close, Jordan Love haters. So close. Better luck next time. <laughs> um, that game against the Chiefs was not pretty. Oh. I came away feeling like I had more questions than answers as a result of that game. I don't feel like I learned very much about Jordan Love. I, I know that social media was just on fire with all the Jordan Love hate. Uh, Pro Football Focus gave Jordan Love a very poor grade. I saw a lot of people just saying he's a bust. We need to cut him. Why don't they bench him and put Blake Bortles in, which is idiotic. Yeah. Beyond the pale. Yeah. Would Aaron Rodgers have won this game? Yes. Blake Bortles would not have won this game. He absolutely would well, not. Have. No, l- I'll, listen, I'll t- listen, he, he was in town for all of 24 or 36 hours before they flew to Kansas city. Hasn't practiced with the team in months doesn't have any idea what the playbook is. He was there as an emergency buffer so that Randall Cobb wasn't throwing passes in case of a Jordan Love injury. That Blake correct. Blake Bortles was never going to play. There was no reason that putting Blake in there would have won you the game. No. To me the bottom line is this team should have won the game anyway. Yeah. And what I learned was that with only a half a week to prepare, Matt LaFleur did not tailor his offense to the situation in front of him. And I think that was a big reason why the Packers did not win the football game. This felt like watching a Bears game. Like you have this elite defensive performance that was just squandered by the rest of the team. To me, there are four parties directly responsible for um, the loss, uh, Jordan love is one of those four parties. There were certainly quite a few plays where he made poor decisions, where he had inaccurate passes. I have a hard time excusing inaccuracy. Uh, I did notice when I was going back through my rewatch that on his inaccurate passes, he had really poor form. Um, that's something that needs to be cleaned up. Uh, I'm not excusing the inaccuracy or saying that like, oh yeah, that's something you can coach out of him. But you know, the, the reason for why it was happening was at least apparent. Um, the other three parties that I'm pinning the blame on here, first and foremost, special teams. I don't understand mm-hmm. why Mo Drayton still has a job. Um, I, that, that, that game was a fireball offense. It really was. Uh, special teams directly gave up nine points. So you have two missed field goals, six points right there. Then you have the muffed punt that gave the chiefs, the ball back within inside, I think the 10 yard line, which kudos to the defense. They held 
the Chiefs to a field goal right there, but that's another three points. In a game where we lost by six points, having special teams cough up nine points on their own is just unconscionable. Um, Jordan Love gave up another at least three points, possibly seven, with his um, really bad interception. That was not good. Um, it, the other two parties that I think deserve a lion's share of the blame, though, the offensive line was mm-hmm. horrific. Jordan Love was under pressure on 28 of his 34 dropbacks or <laughs> passing plays, I should say. And um, 14 of those, he was facing unblocked defenders. Watching the tape, I was baffled. First of all, Royce Newman has no business being on the field um, this season. He had season. a terrible, terrible game. He's been bad the last few weeks. We kind of ragged on him a bit last week. Um, he's He's been bad. Now, I'm not... I'm not giving up on him because he's a rookie. You can have some struggles your rookie season and still turn into a dude later on. Oh, absolutely. But what we're getting from him is not good enough. Um, there were so many plays rewatching this where he was just standing there or Lucas Patrick was just standing there and guys would run past and he, they didn't do anything. And no. I'm watching all these plays. By the way, Jordan Love got sacked once in this game. Once he was under pressure on 28 passing plays and there were unblocked defenders on 14 of them. Just watching him evade defenders was masterful. I just want to give him some credit for that. Um, It reminded me a lot of the um, Bears Browns game earlier this year where Fields was sacked nine times. Mm -hmm. Um, Love was facing a very similar amount of pressure, except he wasn't taking the sacks. Right, which was which was a definite plus, and and I give him a lot of credit. the The problem was though, and to me there was a direct correlation here, and you you touched on it earlier. Footwork was a huge problem for him mm-hmm. when he set his feet properly. His throws were much more accurate. When his feet were not set, his balls fluttered off course. He would miss a back shoulder throw, or or wouldn't lead the receiver properly. And he wasn't accurate enough to be a quality quarterback in the National Football League. Now, that's something he can learn. That's a teachable thing uh, that that I know they've been working on with him over the last season and a half since he's been here. And obviously, he still needs some more work in that area if he hopes to take his game to the level where he can be a quality starter in this league. Way too many people. Uh, commenting on my articles and and commenting on social media. Too quick to dismiss Jordan Love altogether. It's one game. It's the first game he ever started in the National Football League. The game plan was mediocre. The offensive line was worse than mediocre. And, you know, I think he was okay. He wasn't great. He needs a lot of work. But what do you expect from a guy starting his first NFL game? Uh, and the, the um, amazing thing about it is they still probably should have won that football game if the play calling was a little bit different and the special teams were just average. Real quick here, uh, it, it, to our bosses at PackersTalk.com, if you're listening, uh promise we're almost done talking about the Chiefs game, <laughs> but this is, <laughs> we felt this was important to talk about. Um, <clears throat> my, my last party I really I think deserves an enormous amount of blame is the coaches. Uh, yeah. Matt LaFleur and Nathaniel Hackett had a just, I mean, this is the worst 
game plan I've seen from them ever. And the adjustments, the adjustments barely even happened. You know, Jordan Love started playing a lot better in the fourth quarter. And and the protection really wasn't any better. The defense against the zero blitz was not any better. It was Jordan Love who started playing better. Now, I'm not here to tell you that Jordan Love is actually secretly an elite quarterback. Nobody can say after one game if he sucks or if he's great. And if somebody tries to tell you that, I promise you they don't know football. I do want to read some stats here real quick because this is pretty bad. All right. Uh, Jordan Love was 15 for 28 attempts, 53% completion rating, only 133 yards, two interceptions. Uh, he was uh, sacked once for 11 yards. Hang on a second. Actually, that's Aaron Rodgers' stats in week one of 2021. Jordan <laughs> Love uh, was 19 of 34 with 55% completion rating. That's higher. 190 right. yards, a touchdown, and an interception, and one sack. Um, if you compare Aaron Rodgers' first game in 2021 and Jordan Love's first game in 2021, Jordan's performance was better. That does not mean that Jordan is secretly a great quarterback. It means if you didn't give up on Aaron Rodgers, or if you don't think that Patrick Mahomes is an awful quarterback, who also, by the way, had worse stats than Jordan Love in this game, give the same leeway to Jordan that you are to the other two guys mentioned there. Uh, bottom line is I, we haven't seen enough. I want to see more from Jordan. Um, I was really disappointed that I felt like the offensive line play and the, and the play calling limited how much we could learn about Jordan love. I don't feel like we were able to learn uh, basically anything about whether he's a good quarterback or not. All right. We do have to move on to our Seahawks game though, because yes, that's obviously the point of this podcast. So, uh, Gil, real quick, give me your argument for why you think the Packers are going to win this game. Uh, I think the Packers are the deeper team and the better team. And I think the Seattle defense is going to be, uh, not up to the task of slowing down the green Bay offense. Their run defense isn't good enough. Their pass defense isn't good enough. I think Matt LaFleur will run the football enough this week. And I think with Russell Wilson coming back from his injury, we don't know how effective he's going to be. The Packers just have too many weapons offensively for Seattle to keep up. It's a pretty good argument. Pretty good argument. Uh, Looking at the Seahawks offense here, the big question, obviously, is how good is Russell Wilson going to be coming back in his first game after missing a lot of time? Um, and, And to me, that kind of negates the question of how good is Aaron Rodgers going to be after missing uh, basically two full weeks of practice almost and missing the game last week. I think that just kind of puts the two offenses on similar footing there from a quarterback perspective in regards to missing time there. But if you look at the guys surrounding uh, the quarterbacks, it's, it's not really a fair fight. Uh, one of the big issues that I see right off the bat with the Seahawks offense, which has not been stellar this year, they really like to run the ball a lot. They mm-hmm. only pass 56% of the time, uh, which is below league average. You got Minnesota and Washington are at uh, 59%. Uh, actually, Denver and the Chargers are also right at 59% as well. 56% is considerably lower 
um, than league average. They like to run the ball a lot, and their running backs are not that good. Rashad Penny is their number one running back right now. His PFF grade is just a 43. That's that's really terrible. Uh, he doesn't offer hardly anything at all uh, as a receiver. It's interesting because he was, a, I thought, a, a pretty decent back in 2019. And uh, he got hurt, I think, in 2020. Or maybe it was 2019 that he got hurt. And he's just never been the same since then. Um, I've, I've really... If, if they're trying to build their offense off the run game, Penny is just not getting the job done. And the no. interior of the offensive line is also an issue. And kind of across the board, you see that uh, their run blocking is nowhere near as good as their pass blocking, with the exception of one guy who we'll touch on in a minute here. Go ahead. All right, you look like he had something to say. Uh, no, no. <laughs> that, that one guy is their center, and that would be uh, Ethan. I think you say his name is Pachik, uh, P-O-C-I-C. His pass mm-hmm. blocking grade is a 26. That's okay. one of the worst pass blocking grades I've ever seen. It's about on par with what Royce Newman did for, for us versus the Chiefs. Um, so the fact that he has just a slightly below run blocking grade is downright impressive when you pair it with uh, how poor his pass blocking is. Right. DK Metcalf is currently the fourth best wide receiver in football, uh, just playing out of his mind. And Russell Wilson, uh, before he got hurt, was the fourth best quarterback in football, and he had the second best uh, passing grade. Um, that's substantially better than what we've been getting from Aaron Rodgers so far this year. No question who's having the hotter season so far, but the offense on the whole, I'm not that impressed with you look at. So here are the five games where Russell Wilson was in, uh, they scored 28 points against, uh, the Colts who allow on average 25 points. They put up 30 points against the Titans, who typically only allow 23 points. And that's kind of where it stops being impressive. They were only able to score 17 points against the Vikings, whose defense is not doing that well so far this year um, and was even worse back then. Uh, If you include through this past week, the Vikings defense is allowing uh, 23.8 points, which is significantly higher than than, uh, what Seattle did in 17 points. But back then, the Vikings defense was even worse. So it was a, a pretty bad performance. Also against the Rams, they scored 17 points. Rams do have a good defense, uh, but they are aver- uh, giving up an average of 21.7 points. So that's still underwhelming. And then in the three weeks that Russell Wilson was out, they put up 20, 10, and 31 points against the Steelers, Saints, and Jaguars. It kind of feels like without Wilson, the offense didn't really miss a beat and kind of kept putting up basically the same numbers, which were, you know, underwhelming. Yeah, I I think it's unfair to say they didn't miss a beat in the sense that, you know, statistically, you look at the numbers and yeah, Geno Smith, his quarterback rating is over 100. It's not in Russell Wilson territory, but he's completing you know, 68.4% of his passes, five touchdowns, just the one interception. Mm -hmm. Uh, His yards per attempt is not 
Russell Wilson territory because Wilson is one of the more accurate deep throwers in the game today. But I think there is a certain lack of confidence, a lack of spark, a lack of uh, big play threat that wasn't in the lineup when Geno Smith was under center as compared to Russell Wilson. So I think, uh, you know, to say that they were continually unimpressive when Russell Wilson was out of the lineup. Yeah. But I think that the, the, the absence of Russell Wilson had a lot to do with that. Now their defense has really only had two bad games all year. There's a third that you could maybe put in that same category. Um, Against the Titans, the defense allowed 33 points. That was in week two. The Titans are averaging 28.3 points on offense. Against the Vikings, the Seahawks allowed 30 points. Uh, Vikings are averaging 24.25. So both of those were not great. And then the other one that you could maybe kind of quibble over would be they allowed 23 points to the Steelers, which... Um, most teams are holding the Steelers below that. They're only getting 20 points per game. I'm mostly okay with that. I think if their offense had played a little bit better that day, they would have won that game. The rest of the year, their defense has been pretty good. Um, they're they're winning most of their games by two scores. Um, New Orleans, they won by... No, they lost to New Orleans by three points. That was a, a pretty horrific game for the offense. Geno Smith was the quarterback there. Right. I think most of their games that they've won, they've won by more than two scores. So um, the defense is maybe the bigger thing I'm concerned about this week. The the Seattle defense? The Seattle defense, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing about the Seattle defense, you look at the numbers, they are 30th in the league in sacks. They are... Uh, 31st in yards allowed per game total, 25th against the rush, 28th against the pass, and yet they don't give up a lot of points. So, you know, that's one of those things that's a little bit confusing. Yeah, I think the Packers can move the ball both on the ground and uh, through the air against the Seattle defense. I don't think they pose the pass rush issues that even the Chiefs, who didn't have a great pass rush coming into last week's game, uh, pose. I, I think that whether it's Aaron Rodgers, who's likely to be back or Jordan love that a, they will have enough time to throw the football and B that Matt LaFleur will hopefully learn the lessons that he needs to learn from the play calling mistakes he made a week ago and have a better game plan in place, regardless of who the quarterback is in order to make sure that the ball is out quickly that uh, the pass rush doesn't disrupt the offense. And I, I mean, I think we can run on these guys pretty effectively, quite honestly. They're giving up 127 and a half, a little bit more than that, yards per game on the ground. Uh, I can't imagine Aaron Jones and or A.J. Dillon not taking advantage of that situation, especially if David Bakhtiari is back and we don't know if he's going to play yet or not, although he has been activated. But I, I just can't imagine that the Packers won't come up with a better, more efficient game plan and be able to run the ball on these guys as well. Here's a huge concern that I have. So you can move the ball on the Seahawks, and then they have a really good red zone defense. Last week, we for uh, on full display, 
we saw, you know, how ineffective uh, special teams has been at putting up field goals. I'm, I'm just concerned that if you don't feel like you have any kind of a kicking game, you might drive the ball all the way down into the red zone. And then either either you miss your field goal or you just recognize that you can't even trust your field goal unit. And so you try and go for it on fourth down and come away with no points on, you know, what would otherwise be a really good drive. That That's a concern that I have. Yeah, no, that's uh, that that's a legitimate concern. And the way special teams have been. Oh, I mean, oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> I wrote an article about it on Tuesday uh, at the Sports Daily. And it it was just, you know, special teams cost the Packers at least nine points in that game, and they lost by six. So just do the math. And by the way, I think the Chiefs won a touchdown, came off of the – it came at the end of that drive where Corey Borkas had that muffed – that shanked punt right. that went for something like just 30 yards. I think that was when the Chiefs got their only um, touchdown scoring drive as well. So – I just I, I don't understand. They should have left Maurice Drayton in Kansas City when they flew home. <laughs> I never understood that hire from the beginning. You're hiring Ron Zook and Sean Menenga's assistant and expecting something different than what you've gotten. I, I just never understood the hire. And I I, I don't even know if he's going to get fired at the end of this year because you know, Menenga had a horrific first year and they still let him come back for a second year. And I, I feel quite firmly that that Colts game last year was lost because of special teams. Mm -hmm. Now here we have another game in 2021 where the special teams lost that game. It's just really frustrating to me. We do have our injury report to go over. Here's the guys who did not participate. Mercedes Lewis had his uh, veteran rest day as usual. So the only guy who was actually held up because of injury is Dominique Daphne. Uh, He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday. Now, Wednesday was just a walkthrough, but I didn't practice on Thursday, which means your tight ends are DeGuara, uh, Mercedes Lewis, and Tyler Davis. You're getting pretty thin there. One injury and you're in trouble. Yeah, and that that is part of the problem. And it it looks like, although he hasn't been ruled out yet, that Daphne won't play. The two guys who I'm interested in, uh, well, three guys on this list, and they've all been limited participants. Kenny Clark, who left last week's game Mm -hmm. early with a back injury, limited participant so far. Kingsley Kiki, who's missed the last game with a concussion, limited so far. And then Eric Stokes, who was injured in... Uh, pre-game warm-ups last week with a knee, also a limited participant, and I really want Stokes back. Uh, Clark and Stokes, to me, very important to have them back, and Kiki I would love to have back for this game. Yeah, the really interesting thing is that Kevin King has been playing extremely well. Now, I, I don't want to be without Stokes, but Kevin King has been by Kevin King standards, he's been phenomenal. Basically this whole season, but especially the last two games he's played. Uh, He gave up 21 yards on six targets versus the Chiefs. 
That he is was great not half bad. The Chiefs. No, yeah. no, that's very. I would take that game in and game out. The whole key with Kevin King is two things. Number one, his availability or lack thereof, mm-hmm. and then number two, he could play a really good game for you know fifty-five minutes, but for one drive, he just loses the ball in the air or oh, yeah. makes a big fundamental mistake and gives up that 40, 50 yard play that deflates the team or comes at the worst possible moment, giving up big plays at the worst possible moment is very frustrating. I like Kevin King. I root for Kevin King. And in this week's game, I think Kevin King will be a very important part of it, especially because when you look at the, receivers mm-hmm. for the Seattle Seahawks. DK Metcalf Huge. is six foot four. Yeah. You need, and you have you to, need to, King to cover him. You have That's to. The, yeah, exactly. Even if you exactly. have Jair in there, you still need to put Kevin King on DK because he's the only guy who can physically, physically is big enough to do it. That is the matchup that I'm concerned about because King has to come through and get the job done. And, and I would prefer to have a guy. He is a big – well, so is Tyler Lockett. Both of them are, are capable of making big plays. Yeah. I would rather have Stokes on Lockett, but if it's Rasul Douglas, he's played well all year, and I could, you know, I could deal with Rasul Douglas on Lockett, but I need Kevin King on Metcalf because of the size differential. He's six foot four. He's big. He's physical. He's fast. And you need the long arms and the long body of – King in order to try to contain Metcalf so, and, and they've got to be able to, and, and you, those two guys are going to get their catches. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the statistics for the Seahawks on the year, you know, those guys have like between them about 80, 82 catches. And then the next highest guy has like 15. Uh, they don't throw to their backs and tight ends very often by comparison, like to the Packers. Uh, they are wide receiver heavy, and it's their top two receivers who they heavily lean on when when they're playing. Uh, you know, when they're throwing the football. Yeah, I'm. Mean, I'm not even sure who their wide receiver three is right now. It might be Freddie Swain, who is a pretty bad player. Um, <laughs> so last week, you know, we didn't have Stokes in the game. So Kevin King, Rasul Douglas, and Shannon Sullivan were our three corners. They and held they got Patrick. The job done. They held Patrick Mahomes to 166 passing yards mm-hmm. that is the lowest he's ever had in a game where he played all 60 minutes and just 4.49 yards per attempt also the lowest of his career just round of applause for those three guys um yeah. now if if Mahomes had been able to hit a wide open Travis Kelsey that might have been a different matter I'm not sure why we decided to just not cover him all day but <laughs> I digress um Let's take a look at the at the trenches real quick. Dwayne Brown, their left tackle, is more than competent. Uh, his his run blocking is a little bit worse than everything else, but it's fine. The other tackle is Brandon Shell. He is above average. He grades out basically about a Billy Turner level. Um, and then their interior is the only good guy in the in the interior is right guard Gabe Jackson. I like him. He's a good pass blocker, um, yep. but their left guard and their center, you basically have the same situation right now as what the Packers have with their right guard and their center, except that um, we already said it's the Seahawks center who's horrific. So this should be 
this is this is one of those games where you hope Kevin or uh, Kenny Clark can play because he should feast. Yeah, that should be a very favorable matchup, and and I I like that matchup if he's healthy. And then of course the other thing is also on the injury list: Dean Lowry with a hamstring. He's been a full participant in practice. Let me tell you something: Dean Lowry quietly is having a pretty good year. Oh yeah, he Dean Lowry has got to be the most underappreciated Packer there is now that J.K. Scott is gone. Yeah, uh, I, I I think that you know Dean Lowry getting uh, you know maximizing his ability and getting the job done this year. You know Dean Lowry's doing what Dean Lowry needs to do and then some. So uh, on the defense, here are the guys to be concerned about. Number one is Bobby Wagner, who has been just a stud for forever. This is actually. Grade wise, it is uh, his worst year since uh, 2015, and he's still playing quite, quite well. He's the one defender whose name I've heard floated for MVP this year, which I think is a little bit ridiculous. I think TJ Watt should be in that conversation, but probably, but whatever. Bobby Wagner, there's nothing that he does poorly. He's he's very how good. How old at is he now? He was drafted in 2012, so. What's that, 31, 32? Yeah, he's probably around 31. So, you know, nearing the end of his prime, let's put it that way. I mean, way. he's the last member of the uh, Legion of Boom. Right. So uh, their corners, they, okay, for their defensive backs, they have one good corner and one good safety. Quandre Diggs is uh, playing quite well. Uh, Jamal Adams is not. The only thing that Jamal Adams does well is he is a decent blitzer. And he's a he's an average run defender, but uh, in coverage he's not good. <clears throat> I would uh, I would maybe try and pick on him a bit with Aaron Jones in the receiving game, or mm-hmm. or even uh, AJ Dillon, as long as you stay away from Bobby Wagner. <laughs> At corner, DJ Reed is playing uh, quite well, but the weird thing is that most of most of his um, positive grades come from his run defense. His his coverage grade is okay. I think both it's of these average. quarter both these corners, Aaron Rodgers and Devontae, or Aaron Rodgers and Alan Lazard even can can pick on them and they don't really make me very nervous. Oh, I forgot MBS is back. How nice. Yes, he is. Uh I already talked about Quandary Diggs. He's playing pretty well. Uh his coverage grade is about a little bit above average. Mm-hmm. On the defensive line, you have only two good players. Um the better of the two, I would say, is Puna Ford. And I mean, oh, it's, you know, it's it's six, one half dozen, the other Al, right. Al Woods and Puna Ford. They're both playing pretty well. Um, neither of them are really great pass rushers. Uh, their their run defense is pretty stout, though. But you could run outside because the uh, linebackers outside of Bobby Wagner are not really good at they're actually pretty bad at stopping the run their defensive ends are uh really bad at stopping the run uh benson mayoa is by far the best uh run defender they have and he's just grades out as average so running it right up the gut is maybe the thing that concerns me a bit there but to me this is just a really smart defense that um gets the job done with some subpar players which i i think I think somebody on the outside looking in might describe the Packers defense the same way. 
you know, especially you're, you know, somebody somebody looks at it and says, who the heck is Devondre Campbell? I've never heard of him. You might be tempted to describe the Packers defense the same way. Well, the, the whole is bigger than the sum of its parts. Exactly. You know? I mean, and, and the results are better than when you just look at the talent. It's not a fantasy football defense. Let's put it that way. <laughs> No, uh, and and the Packers, uh, you know, here's the thing with the, with the Packers that that they're getting slightly better results than the Seahawks are, and they're missing all their stars. Yeah, the Seahawks I are mean, not really missing anybody super important on defense. I, I don't think the Seahawks have players as good as the players the Packers are missing, even when they're all healthy uh, on defense at this point. But you know, look. I don't mean to put down the Seattle defense. I think that, you know, they're more than serviceable. We talked about the points given up being much lower than the yards. And, you know, you sure Mike Pettin isn't running that defense? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, uh, but but at the end of the day, that's what you need to do. Keep the other team off the board. And if it's pretty or dominant or it's just done with situational defense and making stops at the right time, you got to get it done one way or the other. Uh, and if you give up fewer points, but more yards, it's better than the other way around, even though statistically you won't grade out as high. Yeah, very fair. Uh, one, one, one thing the Packers are getting a little bit lucky with is um, they are not going to go up against Chris Carson. We already right. talked about um, Rashad Penny. Their other, their other running back is Alex Collins. Mm-hmm. And he he's basically done zero in fantasy football, but he's had some meaningful carries in real life. A- Alex Collins, to me, I'm going to be more nervous if I see him on the field than Rashad Penny. Um, our our defense has no business letting Rashad Penny run all over him. Alex Collins has at least done it to people this year. I, I would just be a little bit more cautious there. But uh, ultimately... In terms of matchups that, you know, key matchups that I'm concerned about, you got DK Metcalf and to a slightly lesser extent, Tyler Lockett against whoever we have out there at corner. That's matchup number one for me. Um, And then Bobby Wagner is the guy on defense that I just think you got to be cautious around. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe check out of your, your passes to Aaron Jones if Wagner is the guy who's covering him, if it's Brooks, go for it. Um, right. Jordan Brooks is, is really not good. If it's uh, Barton or even if uh, Jamal Adams is up in there, I say, go for it. Bobby Wagner makes me nervous uh, trying to target him in the passing game. Yeah, I would stay away from Bobby Wagner as much as possible. Uh, the good thing is that the Packers have a number of options as far as uh, you know, who to throw to. And it's not that uh, difficult. You know, if if Bobby Wagner is covering Aaron Jones, you could throw the ball to Mercedes Lewis or Josiah DeGuara or Alan Lazard or, you know, there's there are other options, even if you're not going to Devontae Adams. So the fact that the Packers have so many weapons is a key. Now, you know, part of the problem also is this. uh, If Jordan Love is the quarterback, how does that change the equation? And then the other thing is, are we getting Aaron Rodgers at 80%, 90%? How how effective is Aaron Rodgers going to be yeah. coming off of COVID, not practicing for two weeks, uh, not playing for, you know, two and a half weeks? 
you know, and yeah, 90% of Aaron Rodgers is better than, you know, 30, 30 other quarterbacks in this league. <laughs> but, uh, but, but is it going to be his stamina that's off his strength uh, or will it be unnoticeable? We, we don't know. It's a wild card in this game as is what Russell Wilson will do. One, one other thing that I want to talk about that has me a little bit concerned. And, you know, we've talked about this a number of times on the show regarding other quarterbacks. Even now, I don't want Russell Wilson to be able to beat us with his legs. And yeah, it's, it's not so much that he's going to run for a lot of yards, although he is in only five games. Russell Wilson is third on the Seahawks in yards gained on the ground. But he's so good at extending a play and then, you know, throwing the ball downfield for a key pickup. Can't let him do that. Can't let him uh, extend plays. And when the play breaks down, make a a, a big gainer off of improvisation and, and using his legs to create big plays or pick up key, you know, convert third and seven or third and 11 into a first down. That that's my concern about Russell Wilson. That's fair. One thing that, that gives me some comfort there is that this is a relatively common opponent. Uh, and we have a lot of guys on our defense who have played Wilson before. Adrian mm-hmm. Amos was talking about him uh, today, Thursday, and saying that it is an issue in that they're used to most plays lasting, you know, five to eight seconds, something like that. And with Russell Wilson, each play is lasting 15 to 20 seconds. Sometimes he said, you got to be prepared for that, right. uh, it, which could, could wear you down a bit, but he and the other leaders on this defense do know him very well. I, I, I have been a little bit concerned with the pass rush recently, the last couple of weeks. I felt I feel like the last um, the last two games that we've seen, the pass rush just has really not been there. Um, uh, felt like Patrick Mahomes was basically not under pressure for most of the game, and I felt, you know, I I gave them a bit of a pass against uh, Kyler Murray because he, because whenever they did break through the offensive line, it felt like they just couldn't tackle. Kyler because he was so small and just kind of, you know, darted around everywhere. Right. Mahomes is not that same. He, you know, we, we didn't have to get into that because they just weren't getting through the offensive line. The offensive line for the Chiefs was holding our pass rush at bay. Mm-hmm. So it, Mahomes didn't even have to think about that. So to me, that's something I'm I'm kind of circling with a, a red pen is like, hey, we need better production out of our pass rush this week. You got to make Russell uncomfortable. Um, where you, I don't think we sacked Mahomes once last week. Maybe, maybe there was one, one sack. There was one. Yeah. But it was I mean, rough. Rashawn Gary had some pressures, uh, but not enough. It wasn't consistent enough. I agree with you there. Now, big, big question for me. Do you think Royce Newman starts at right guard this week? Well, okay. If you're, you're you're saying if Bakhtiari is the left tackle, no, I'm just saying because period Bak- because because I don't think Bakhtiari is playing this week. Just just period. Do you think Royce Newman gets the start, or do you think that they take somebody who has not been the starter and put them in instead? Put Ben Braden or Yash or Dennis Kelly on the field somehow. I, I don't think Bakhtiari is playing. Yeah, I if Bakhtiari isn't playing, I think Royce Newman is playing. Uh, 
but I think that this might be his last chance to show that he's ready to, to get the job done because yeah, the last three weeks, especially he has really, really struggled and you know, it's, you can get away with it earlier in the season with the schedule that the Packers had. Yeah. But now when you're coming up against, uh, you got Seattle, you got the Rams coming up, you got the Vikings coming up twice. Uh, you got some quality opponents out there who will bring some talented, you know, I couldn't, I don't even want to imagine Aaron Don, uh, Donald trying to, you know, tr- Royce Newman trying to block him. I mean, I don't even want to think about that. No. Uh, I, okay, so, so I, I pitched earlier today on Twitter. I pitched three different proposals for I, I restructured offensive lines. Now, this was when Bakhtiari does come back. Um, right. But I, I'm curious which of these three you're interested in. So my preferred offensive line. For all three of those, Bakhtiari would be the left tackle, by the way. So for for my preference, Lucas Patrick stays at center until Josh Myers come back. Right. John Runyon stays at left guard. And the the big shift is you kick Billy Turner into right guard and put Elton Jenkins at right tackle. And my my justification for that is that tackle is such a more premium position than right guard. And I would rather have an elite right tackle and um, an average guard as opposed to an average tackle and an elite guard. So that's why so I'd like leave... to move Turner inside, even though I think Turner plays better at tackle than he does at guard. I agree. But, I agree with but that. But tackle is more a, a much more important position to me, and so I'd rather have the better player at the more important position and have the lesser player at the lesser position. That's fair. Uh, and I see, I, and you, if I recall correctly, you left Runyon at left guard. Yes. And, and he's and been playing quite Newman. well. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I am, I am a big Runyon. I mean, as a Michigan guy, I got to root for sure. Runyon, but, but, uh, and he's graded out well, uh, also. I mean, you, you look at his overall right. grade, yep. considering, you know, he's in the top half of, uh, uh of the, uh, 76 graded Guard. guards yeah. right now in the league, according to PF. So, um, that's, that's, me, that's my offensive line, number one. Right. My, my number two that I would kind of be okay with, this one just makes a lot of sense to me. It's it's not quite my favorite, but it just makes a lot of sense. And that is you put Elton at center, which is his the position he had in college, and kick uh, Lucas Patrick over to right guard. Uh, to me, one of the things that I like about that is that you have your three good offensive lineman at the tackle positions at center. So you don't have any places on the offensive line where you have two uh, lesser players next to each other. Right. right. So I kind of like that. And and you got the leadership of Jenkins in the middle there. But the the third one that I don't like, this is the one I think the Packers are going to go with. I don't like it at all. (laughs) And I think you're right. They're going to go with it. Yeah. You leave Turner at right tackle. You leave Patrick at center. You move Runyon from left guard to right guard, which I don't like. And you put Elton Jenkins at left guard. I don't like this. I think it's what they're going to do. I think it's what they're going to do also. And, you know, here's the here's the thing. In all three of these scenarios, you're moving players around Mm -hmm. so that they're either not at their best position 
or they have to make an in like a, a, a mid-season adjustment. You know, how well will Runyon play moving from left side after the last eight weeks to the right side? Is that an adjustment he can make without his play falling off significantly? Um, I the, the one thing I like about having uh, Jenkins at left guard is that with Bakhtiari and Jenkins on the same side, I think you've got the best left side. Like that is the the best tackle guard combination probably in the league once Bakhtiari is back up to, you know, game shape and back up to speed. Uh, having those two Pro Bowl players on your left side is absolutely elite. And I love that. And I think leaving Billy Turner at right tackle, like you said, he's played better at tackle than he has at guard. I can live with Lucas Patrick at center because he's a better center than he is a guard. And hopefully you get Myers back soon anyway. And and then I think you just fill in Runyon at guard. I know you said this is your least favorite of the three options but I think it's the least disruptive and it gives you that left side that is just so good. That's a good argument. And no question, that's better than what we're doing right now. Yeah. Um, we're going to do our score predictions. First, a little note here from Maurice Drayton when asked about the fact that the Packers have led the league in missed field goals this season. They've missed six already. Ouch. 18 points. Um <laughs> Plus, I think they missed an extra point or two here or there. One, yeah. Marie Drayton said, Mason Crosby deserves better. And by the way, I think we all deserve better. <laughs> <laughs> all well, right. That's, that's not wrong. Uh, and you know what? Let, let me just take 10 seconds on this. What the heck happened with Steve Wordle? I don't know. It's, it was, it was uh, worse than we were getting from Hunter Bradley. Yes. And, and by the way, it wasn't just Steven Wordle. Uh, Corey Bohorquez also stunk as a holder. You saw right. Mason Crosby yelling at him for not having his uh, having the laces turned out the right way. And then on the very next field goal, he did it again. Yeah. Anyways, just a disaster. I, I hate special teams. I Some weeks, the, uh, the, the worst parts of my soul urged me to go find a, a different team to root for that has a good special teams. And, and then I come back to reality and sanity and realize that it's not that important in the grand scheme of things, but just gives me heartburn and anger issues. <laughs> I can understand why. All right. Score predictions, uh, Seattle versus green Bay. Who do you think wins? What's your score prediction? Green Bay wins. I'm going with 27, 21 Packers. 27, 21. Okay. By the way, uh, we forgot to open up the show with mentioning how we did last week. I, I took the under for the first time, and it paid off in a big way. I made up so much ground on you. I am now just two points behind you in our score prediction game. Uh, I was off by 18 points. You were off by a whopping 47. It just feels good to finally be on the opposite end of of that sort of balance. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to go kind of low again this week. I think Seattle is getting to 17 points and the Packers are going to put up 21. That's that's my prediction. 21-17. Green Bay takes it. And by the way, 
that's my score prediction, regardless of who's under center. I think, uh, I think Jordan Love or Aaron Rodgers. I think it's, I think twenty-one uh, seventeen feels about right to me. All okay. right. Anything else we need to cover? Or should we wrap it up and get out of here? I think we. I think that's a wrap. Well, that's it for today, folks. We'll be right back here next week. Follow us on Twitter at Packers and at JJ Leahy to stay up to date on all things Packers or to ask us questions. You can also email us at askingthehuddle at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to Packers Talk on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Big thanks to PackersTalk.com for powering our show, and thank you for listening. Until next time, Go Pack Go! Go Pack Go! You are listening to Packers Talk Radio Network. Packers Talk. Not